was a pretty terrible human being before I came to the Lord. I think I've explained it quite a few times, right? We were all terrible. I was bad. And so I lived a lifelong, is this echoing? Okay, it's not my fault. Um, I lived a lifelong of drugs and violence and rebellion. Uh, Really, it was a terrible life. But there was a point in my life, probably when I was about, I think in between 15 and 16 years old, where uh, there was like a turn in my life, like a breaking point. And I don't know how to describe it or what it was, but it was really like me getting to the point of something and then deciding that the path that I was taking, I'm going to go even deeper in. And it was very weird timing. Me and my parents, I was living in Alaska. Uh, We went and visited one of my dad's friends, and these people went to church. And remember, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I just decided not to live like that. And we go, and this lady is talking to me, and she was like, hey, will you come in this side room really quick with me? Sounds a little weird now, like when you say it out loud. (laughs) But uh, but she was like, hey, (laughs) my parents were there. She was like, hey, can you come in this side room? I want to talk to you. The Lord is telling me something. And so I was like, okay, this lady is pretty weird. (laughs) And so we go into uh, the room, and she starts talking to me. And she starts telling me stuff about my life that nobody knew, that only my parents knew, or things that only I, I mean, deep, dark secrets that I was like, what? And then she began to tell me that after all of this, that now I'm called to be a pastor. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, I know what my life is like. And I'm like, and you're telling me that I'm called to be a pastor. So after she gets done explaining all these things to me, telling me that I'm going to help change people's lives and help grow the kingdom, you know, and in my mind, I was just like, yeah, right. And uh, we go out to the car and we're leaving and I'm angry. Like I am angry with my parents. I was like, why would you tell this lady that I don't know anything about me at all? And that's when my mom explained to me what spiritual gifts were. (laughs) And she said, we didn't tell them anything. We would never tell them. So that was my first encounter with word of knowledge, where this lady is telling me stuff that only I know about me, or only that my parents know. And then prophesied that I was going to be a pastor, and I I think she was right, (laughs) because here I am. See, on that day, I knew what the Lord wanted of me. And see, even then, I couldn't explain it. I couldn't explain what I felt. But the call on my life, even at that moment, was evident in my spirit. Like, I could feel it. And I don't know for me if it was fear. I don't know if it was selfishness or me wanting to be in control of my own life. What I did was I rebelled against God. I rebelled more against my parents, and I ran the opposite direction. I lived a life of complete disobedience to the Lord. This was even after he had called me. I kept running as far away as I could go. I got in more trouble with the police. I used more drugs and alcohol so I could numb the pain. I became worse than I had ever previously been. I tried whatever I could do to run. But ultimately, I knew that uh, one day I should submit and follow God. And I'm glad that I had that time in my life because some people don't. 
I was able to submit and follow the call he had placed on my life. And it took years, I think it was about 12 or 13 years after that word had been spoken over my life that I finally submitted to his will and not my own. I didn't realize this water was in my back pocket. <laughs> it probably looked weird on camera. <laughs> Romans 11:25 through 36 says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of, their father, of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on them all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever and amen. Now we're wrapping up chapter 11. And the main verse I'm going to focus on tonight is going to be verse 29, which says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. But before I get into that, I want to give you biblical context to what Paul was speaking about. And so I'm going to just give you a quick recap of chapters 9 through 11, because all of those chapters, I think I said it before when I preached, like all three of those chapters tie together for the context of those three chapters, and even then going on to chapter 12. See, Paul talked about Israel's rejection of Christ and God's purpose. He talked about Israel's rejection and God's justice. Paul discussed the present condition of Israel, and they were in desperate need of the gospel, only to have Israel reject the gospel and the Messiah that they had all been waiting for. But there is still hope because Israel's rejection is not total, and it's not final because God is coming back for his remnant. Amen. That was a very quick recap. But that brings us to where we're at now. And so Paul is talking to both Jews and Gentiles. And in Romans eleven twenty-five 25 through 28, it says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Now, what Paul is doing is he's showing both the Jew and the Gentile that they are both important to God's plan. That way, neither one of them could boast about who was more important. 
because that was an argument that went on back then. The Gentiles were like, you crucified Jesus, you're terrible. And the Jews are like, he came for us. Neither one of them could boast. Paul's showing them the, the, the importance of it. That out of Israel's rejection and disobedience to God, it allowed him to open the door for the Gentiles to be saved, grafted, and adopted into the kingdom of heaven. Because of their disobedience, the Gentiles were also called to God. And now, I'm pretty sure I'm a Gentile. I don't think I'm Jewish. I've never taken a test, but even for myself, now I have the same privilege. If you're Gentiles, you have the same privilege that was initially for the Jews, and now you have that also. In God's infinite wisdom, he knew what he was doing. It says in verse 25, it speaks about this great mystery. And see, this mystery is God's uniting of the Jews and Gentiles to accomplish his will. And this mystery is the church. See, some things, and I like how sometimes the Bible says a mystery. It says it again. Paul talks about it later in Ephesians. And it talks about the mystery. And the reason it's a mystery is because some things will remain a mystery until God reveals it to the believers through his spirit. And in verse 26, it says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now, there's some controversy to what this scripture means. One viewpoint says that Paul is speaking about all of Israel from the beginning of time will be saved. That no matter what happens, they are God's chosen people, and he is going to save them all. But in its most basic, that's how it reads out. All of Israel will be saved. But that doesn't really follow the lines of what the rest of the Bible talks about, and even what the rest of chapters 9 through 11 talk about. See, the next view is that all of Israel is referring to the elect of Israel throughout history. Israel will experience a partial hardening of their heart until the select amount of Gentiles come to salvation. After this happens, God will come back for his remnant of Jews. Meaning all of Israel could be, could be talking about the church, both Jews and Gentiles. Since Gentiles have now been adopted and grafted into the kingdom of heaven, this seems to fit the context more of Romans 9 through 11. In chapter 9, Paul states that God is faithful even though Israel rejected Christ. And God's promise to save Abraham's descendant was not necessarily based on nationality, but the true Israel consists of Jews and Gentiles. In Romans 10:12, it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And so Paul is stating there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile in the matter of salvation. God's promise was not fulfilled in a nation, but in a true believing remnant. Which brings us to verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now in this context, the gifts that he's talking about is the gift of salvation. It's irrevocable. He has called people to come to his kingdom to serve him and further his will. He has given us this gift of salvation. It's a free gift and no one can take it. He has freely given it. 
If you've confessed Jesus as your Savior and you crucify your flesh, you live for him, then you have this gift of salvation. Repentance also. Let me throw that in there. So how can we apply this scripture to our lives? Everyone has a call that the Lord has placed in their life. Just like me, we also all have a choice. But before we get into that call of ministry, there's another call that God has placed on your life. And this is the call that you need to answer first. And it's found in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. As Christians, we must put God above everything in our life. Christians should constantly live with the mindset that whatever he wills comes first, comes before our own will. Everything we have must be laid at the foot of the cross. Our desires, our plans, our thoughts, all of it laid down before the Lord. Because he needs to be first in every aspect of your life. We should be more concerned with living our lives for him and less concerned about our own comfort and our own plans. Especially if you call Jesus the Lord of your life. Everything should fall under subjection to him. The way you talk, the way you look, the way you dress, the way you approach people, the way you speak to people, the way you serve the church, what you do in your private life, everything should come under subjection to Jesus Christ. And if you've submitted to him or said you have submitted to him, you should want to honor him with your life. Not just the parts you want to give them. It's so easy to just want to give up the parts you want to give. But he wants all of you, not some of you. I mean, he gave all of his life for you. You know, you can believe me, take my word for it or not. But laying everything at his feet isn't always as easy as it sounds. So I don't know if you guys know, but I used to be really angry back in the day. And so there's still things that I struggle with sometimes. I'm going to tell you guys about this, but you can't hold it against me. So the other day, my wife decided to go with Aaliyah up to a Mongolian grill. They were in there and they were eating. They broke off from the pack. We could have all just gone and eaten sushi. My wife calls me, and her voice is quivering. I know something's wrong. She was like, where are you? Maybe not like that, but I don't know. That's how I hear it. (laughs) And I immediately knew something was wrong. And she was like, someone popped the lock off of our car door, and they stole your subs and your amp. Now it's a $1,500 stereo system, just my subs and then my amp. And they popped the lock. And so I handled it pretty well. I didn't even freak out. Like, Gabe was impressed. He was like, dude, you're not even freaking out? I was like, no, because I've ran through this scenario a hundred times in my head, so if it did happen to my wife, I wouldn't get angry at her because it's not her fault. And so, so I had already lived it like a hundred times before that. And so even though I'm handling it okay on the outside, you know, uh, and I'm not freaking out, and I'm not super angry. I mean, obviously disappointed because I don't get that back. It's not covered under insurance. But, um, 
What my brain did try to do is revert back to my past. Even though I have been saved for like 16 years now, mentally, I wanted to hurt people. In fact, my subs weren't the only ones that got stolen in that time period. While the police were there, because me and Gabe drove up there to go get my wife, because at first my car wouldn't start, because I think they tried to steal it also. And another gentleman came over who had just come out, and he said, my subs and my aunt just got stolen. I was like, oh, mine too. Look, it's missing. So, would any human being, probably with a past like mine, uh, I thought, I said, if they were this comfortable, comfortable to steal two people's subs and amps, they'd probably come here often. I was like, Brittany, you know what I could do? It's like, I could come up here for the next couple days and just wait. <laughs> I was like, I could come up here and wait. And I said, and even if I see someone messing with somebody's car and I do something about it, like cause them physical pain, even if they weren't the ones that stole my stuff, someone's going to be paying for it. (laughs) But I didn't do that. And the reason why is because I bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Believe me, my flesh wants to do it so severely. But I can't because I want to honor God. My flesh wants what it wants, but I always remember that God is in control. Yeah. It so, would have been so much easier to go the other route, but then how terrible would it look? Youth pastor assaults a man <laughs> in a parking lot at the Mongolian Grill. <laughs> I don't want that. No. It's not a good witness for the church, and it's definitely not a good witness for God. Yeah. So I bring all of my thoughts. Those are just things that I still struggle with. Just so you know, this is like 16 years and I still struggle with some of these thoughts sometimes. But see, I gave my life to the Lord. And when I did, I said, you direct my life and I will follow you. That's my thoughts, my actions, my emotions. And it's a long process and it never ends. But whatever he asks of me, I will do. And that's not just me saying it. Whatever God asks of me, I will do 100%. It doesn't always mean it's going to be easy. Some things are hard. But doing whatever he asks is a result of giving Jesus your whole heart. Fully believing and having faith in Jesus Christ will change your heart. You'll begin to see your life and your actions changed. And that happens the more and more you put him first. Your desires will change. Sometimes your plans and your goals will also change because you'll be like, this is what I desired out of a fleshly desire. But then all of a sudden God changes your heart and he changes your mind. Maybe now he wants you to work for the kingdom to help change other people's lives. See, you'll no longer look at life through a worldly perspective. Once your heart changes, you'll look through the lens of Jesus Christ. And his will and his mission will be always be in the forefront of your mind. But see, to put God first, you have to change your focus. Like this world is very negative. You guys know that? Very negative. Always with the arguments, always on social media. You know, the sad part, though, is the most people I see arguing is Christian on Facebook over doctrinal things that they think is right or wrong. And then the world watches them argue back and forth. And then they're like, oh, this is the church. Why would I want to give my life here? 
Anyway, that was a side note. That's not part of my sermon. <laughs> but with all the things that are negative going on in the world, it is easy to get distracted. There is plenty of people that want your time, that want to turn your ear, that have their own agenda. There's plenty of internet preachers that are held accountable to no one that can say whatever they want, whenever they want. And see, that is why if you want to know the Lord for yourself and you want to know what God wants, you must read your Bible. If you want to change your focus, read your word. Even now, read your word. Like, don't just take what I say. Not that I'm going to lead you astray, but read it for yourself. That's the only way you're going to know who God is, what he wants, what his plan, what his purpose is. What does the end of the book look like? That will help you to grow your relationship. That will help you to change your focus. You know, I don't know if you guys know, but I gave my life to the Lord in a prosperity gospel church. And... I was going there for a while, right? But when I gave my life to the Lord, like something changed. Like all of this time that I had been, you know, serving the world and working for the enemy. And then I give my life to the Lord and I was like, dude, I got to go hard. And so I started reading my Bible all the time. And it was probably about, you know, six months in. And I used to highlight all the scriptures, like the pastor would preach and I'd highlight them. And then over time, I realized after about six months, I was like, he uses these scriptures a lot. It was the same ones over and over, over. You know, when it was name it, claim it. You know, he did have some gospel messages in there. And I do believe that Christians are blessed, but I don't believe that's the main purpose of the gospel. And so over time, I'm listening to him preach. And the more I read the Bible, the more I realized like this doesn't align with what the word of God is saying. But I would have never known that if it wasn't for me reading the word for myself. We must, as Christians, take his word seriously. For all I know, I could have still been there being like, name it and claim it. Name it and claim it. Because that's what they do. It's how we know what he wants. It convicts us. It corrects us. It teaches us. It gives us advice. It gives us knowledge. It gives us wisdom. Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, the part that I like where it says the word of God is living and powerful have you ever guys been ever just been reading your word and then all of a sudden, like you've read the scripture like a hundred times over and then all of a sudden it's just like, yeah. and you're like, oh, what happened? I've read this a hundred times. At least I think I have. Yeah. And then your life changes because it's living and active. Amen. The Holy Spirit will convict and correct you while you read the word. You know, most of the changes in my life have come from reading God's word. Not that I don't get convicted in sermons and change things, but a majority of my life changes, especially some of these bigger ones in my life, it came from reading the word. Yes. Amen. I read scripture, 
get convicted, and then I work on that area of my life. God must be first in every area of your life. That includes the way you spend your time. Read your word. Worship. Pray. You know, when I preach to the youth, I often, um, and maybe I haven't done it in a while, but I like to hit like three points every time. That's read your Bible, pray, and worship. Because that won't steer you wrong. I could just preach that every week and hopefully one of them will get it. Some of them get it. See, serving God and putting him first isn't easy. It's never easy. But it's worth it. Our first call is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. We also have another call on our lives. This call uses our giftings and abilities to help us grow the kingdom. Even from the beginning of time, we were created to work. It's not always fun. Not everybody likes to work. Some people really like to work, but not everybody likes to work. I used to do manual labor. I don't like to do manual labor. Genesis 2, 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Psalm 90, 17. And let the beauty of the Lord, our God, be upon us and establish the work of your, our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Proverbs 16.3, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. We were created to work unto the Lord. See, the giftings and abilities and the call that has been placed on your life is a call to serve God's church. Each person has been given an area where they excel at. Some people excel in a few areas. And where you do, you use these giftings and abilities to build the kingdom. It is our job to build the kingdom. See, for me, I was called to be a pastor. Maybe if I knew what I was getting into, I wouldn't have done it. No, I'm just kidding. I would have done it. I would have done it. (laughs) But it's not an easy task. And you know, oftentimes it's kind of funny because I hear people always saying they want to be a pastor. They want to be a preacher, right? That's the number one thing. Oh, what do you call to? Oh, I'm called to preach. Like, oh. But nine out of ten times, you probably weren't. Maybe even more than that. And I'm not saying that to be rude. But what you guys get to see is about 5% of our job, maybe less than 5%. And that's when we preach. You don't see the hours of studying. You don't see the sleepless nights. You don't see all the tears that come with it. You don't see the hours of phone conversations we have to have with people. Hours of meetings to try to reconcile people's marriages. To try to reconcile people back with God. You don't see us dealing with our own problems, but at the same time having to take of the problems of everybody in the congregation. You don't see us helping people through emotional trauma or injuries or loss of jobs and even death in their families. And the worst part that you don't often see that happens more frequently than I would like it to 
is spending years and years pouring into somebody who eventually goes through a hard time in their life and now all of a sudden you're the enemy and you're the target and everything you ever did was wrong and they turn against you. They blame you as if you were the problem. Now see, I don't say this to exalt myself or any other pastor, but the reason I tell you this and the call that God has placed on my life is because if it wasn't for God and the call he's placed on me, there is no way I could do this in my flesh. This is a call. I've been given an extra grace, same as all the other pastors in this church. And God still works on me. See, not everyone has been called to the five-fold ministry. And the five-fold ministry is, does anybody know it? Who knows it? Five-fold ministry? Nobody? No, you guys didn't know. <laughs> Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Not everybody's called to those five positions. But everybody is called to do something. Yes. But it's your job to figure out where that place might be. Yes. You guys know that this building doesn't take care of itself? Yes. I wish it did. <laughs> You know, for a long time, I had to do a lot of things. <laughs> we have so many ministries that make it run. Yes. And that's because people, normal people like ourselves, come and they serve the church. And they use their skills to help grow the kingdom. Amen. I don't call some people out by name because I feel like it. <laughs> but look at Jamie. Jamie owns a renovation company where he works all day at people's houses, remodeling their homes. And he decided one day, praise the Lord, <laughs> that he was going to take over the maintenance ministry. And he did. Guess who used to have to do it? Me. And I don't know half the stuff he knows. He uses his giftings, his talents, his abilities to help grow the kingdom. I mean, and it's all on his own time. Jamie could be working all day long. Maybe I shouldn't puff him up too much. <laughs> no, it's good to, it's good. He will work all day long and I'll call him with an issue that I don't think is that big of a problem. He'll be like, I'm coming by today. He uses his gifts to help grow the kingdom. And maybe you might be thinking, like, how does that help? And I'll tell you how. It's because nothing's broken. Yeah. And what it is, it gets fixed. Yeah, right. And you might not notice these things that were broken yeah. that got fixed. But you would definitely notice if it was still broken. Yeah. <laughs> you would notice if there was no paper towel holders. Yeah. <laughs> you would notice if there was like water pouring out from underneath the sink. Yeah. Now, he's got a whole team of people that come in and help. So if you want to help him, see him after service. You know, the same thing is with the cleaning team. And look, anybody can clean. Anybody can pick up. Anybody can clean. But there are people that are called to that. There's people that enjoy cleaning. I don't, I don't get it. But even myself, I don't enjoy cleaning, but I still come and I clean the church. I still help. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm not going to clean, doesn't mean I'm not going to serve the body, because I'm just going to do what God has called me to do. Yeah. Now, I know some people probably notice that it's clean. But like I said, same goes through for a broken building. You would definitely notice if this building stunk yeah. or if it was dirty. 
Same with our landscaping. People that work full-time jobs come over to make sure that our uh, hedges or bushes, whatever they are, are cut. I'm not a landscaper. They make sure that our grass is mowed. They make sure that our property looks nice because nobody wants to come to a nasty-looking property. All of these things that are giftings and abilities help grow the kingdom. There's so many more ministries that we have. Like, think of children's ministry. I'll say it one time up here. You guys will probably never hear it again. I do like children. I'm sure, some of, I'm sure some of you heard me. People that know me know that I'll joke around and be like, I don't even like kids. Like younger age, not youth age, like younger kids. But I do. I actually do enjoy them sometimes. <laughs> but I'm definitely not called to children's ministry. Like I'm just not. There are some people that are blessed with that. Pastor Amber, praise God for you. Because it's not me. I, uh, <laughs> I cannot do it. We have so many ministries. But all of them are just as important as one another. Yeah. Just because I'm up here preaching to you guys doesn't mean that this is more important than some of the stuff that you guys do out there. Yeah. God has still called you to something. Figure out what that area is in your life and use that to grow the kingdom. Also, if you guys haven't figured it out or you don't know where to serve at, um, just come to the church on Saturday from 9 to 1 p.m. for this work party and I can point you in a direction. (laughs) You like that shameless plug I put in there? Serve the church with your gifting and your abilities. We're all called for something. We're all called for a purpose. That purpose is to serve God and grow his kingdom. Now, I did want to mention one more thing because, I mean, there's other things that you're called to as well. Uh, And one of those is your family. You are called, this is just a, a quick little point. You are called to serve your family. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Devote your life to her. Love her. Care about her. Women, submit to your husbands. And I know that's hard for some people to hear, but you need to submit to your husband. And submission doesn't start until it's something you don't want to do. That submission. If my wife only wanted to do, like, did things that only that that she liked to do, she would never be submitting. But before my wife submitted, I had to love her like Christ loved the church. Because I used to also have a problem with being very demanding. And women don't want to submit to that. But what they do want to know is that they're loved, that you're going to provide for them, and that you're going to love them like Christ wants you to love them. You don't tell them if you're doing things you shouldn't change. Don't say a word. Just do it, and they'll begin to submit. So don't use your family, though, as an excuse 
to not serve the church. And on the other side of that, don't use serving the church as a reason to not be with your family. You may think you need a break, but your family needs you. Don't spend all your time here serving. Spend some time with your family too. They love you. They need you. Whatever call God has placed on your life, be sure to use it to help his kingdom grow. You want to bow your heads? Lord, thank you for this opportunity we come together and worship you. Father, I pray that you just reveal to people what their call, your call in their life is, Lord. Father, I pray that you give people strength and courage and boldness. Father, I pray that people step out of their comfort zones to work in areas that you want them to work, Lord. Father, I pray that the hearts of the people will be turned towards you, that they will serve you and only you, God. That they will devote their lives, they will devote their heart, and they will honor you. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have kids, don't forget to pick them up. We'd like to thank you so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory Online, would you please send us a message because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video, and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.